Now that is a good soup. Good soup. Soup's not a meal. You were supposed to buy me a meal. I'm not stopping you from eating. Go ahead and eat. Get anything you want. Very good. Very good. You know something? Mm. No soup for you. Yeah, we both have so much in common. We both love soup. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode two of the Good Soup Film Podcast. This week, we're going to be talking about a double feature that we did of Ad Astra from 2019 and Apocalypse Now from 1979. I'm Matt, and I'm joined with Eric. I'm Danny. Welcome. Thank you. Thank I you. I feel very welcomed. Yeah, we're yeah, that was a very soothing intro. We're, uh, you know? we're live from Matt's living room. Hell Again. yeah, we are. Um, I'm very excited for this. Mm-hmm. I am stoked. Apocalypse Now is arguably my all-time favorite movie. So I mean, yeah, it's, it's pretty good. I'm excited to dig in. I know Matt had not seen this Never movie seen it. before we did this, and uh, I've been on his, his ass to watch it for mm-hmm. like a year now. Amongst other things. Yes. A lot of Francis Ford Coppola. It, we'll get to some George other ones Miller's down babe. the road. You know, there's, there's yeah. a lot on the list. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a fantastic movie, George Miller's Babe. It is. It's the unequivocal pig movie. Shout out Charlotte's <laughs> No Bob. other pig uh, movie yeah, I don't know. can top no? Babe. Charlotte's Web. I don't know. It's, you know, straight, just, nah. straight banger. Nah. <laughs> so, yeah, let's get into it. Actually, you know, when I really dissect Charlotte's Web, I, there's some issues in there that mm-hmm. I'm not a Yeah, fan. honestly. Yeah. The pacing's a bit off. I think we should take it out of libraries. <laughs> I think we should burn it. You and me both. <laughs> um, anyway. Yeah, Apocalypse Now, Ad Astra. Two different movies in a lot of ways, but very similar themes based mm-hmm. on the same source material, Heart of Darkness. Yeah. 40, um, 40 years apart in yes. terms of release? Yeah, yeah. exactly 40 right. years apart. Wow. So, right yeah. on the money there. Right yeah. on the money. One directed by Francis Ford Coppola, the other one by uh, James Gray? James Gray. James, James Gray. Gray, okay. I, I, I had it in my head, and then I immediately forgot it. and then I mean, that sounds yeah. about right. Yeah. For James Gray. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I, I kind of know who that now, guy is. Now, the question is, is, is he Lost spelled City Gray with an A or an E? Uh, it's an A, but good point. I mean, man kind of had Tom Holland before anybody else. He did. He Lost, did. Lost ha- City of Z. They he call, did have the first He Tom calls Holland. it Lost City of Zed because I'm pretty sure he's British. So, like, anytime he refers to it, it's Lost City of Zed because that's how they say Z. Zed's dead, baby. <laughs> but, uh. I didn't know he had, he had Nathan Drake. Yeah. yeah. Know, from honestly, the hit movie Uncharted? Yeah, from the hit movie. <laughs> He couldn't the same get Mark cinematic Wahlberg, universe though. is Morbius. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's two episodes in a row with a Morbius reference. So we're Let's doing a Morbius episode, right? Yeah, I mean, clearly uh, when it comes out. We got to do a Sonic one, a Morbius one. So Apocalypse Now and Ad Astra. <laughs> yeah, um, I personally think Apocalypse Now is as close to you're ever going to find as a perfect film. Um, it's a little slow in the middle, but that's kind of the point that it drags when they're going down the river. The first hour of this film is chock full of both like very serious elements when he's in the room, Willard's in the room alone, and they come, they take him, the whole monologue in the beginning where he explains everything. And then the scene with all the generals, Harrison Ford has a cameo. Martin Sheen being like an just an actual alcoholic. Yeah, yeah. all the time. I mean, the whole open where he's like, Saigon. I mean, dude, How if, am I, I, if I had to be Saigon. on the set too, I'd probably become an alcoholic. Yeah, yeah fair enough. I mean, brutal. I'd probably have a heart attack. Yeah. And it wasn't even <laughs> supposed to be Martin Sheen. It was supposed to be Harvey Keitel. Yeah, was originally to... cast for the role, and then he was like, I'm not 
spending three yeah. years in Cambodia. Dude, there's like a lot of actors who like were approached for this. Yeah, I think, like I'm not spending a year. I think they boys. also approached Al Pacino to play uh, to play uh, Marlon Brando's character, and he was like, "I'm not spending five months in the jungle." Well, Marlon Brando didn't. He showed up for like three weeks and went home. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, I think uh, Al Pacino was approached for Willard's character, not Willard. Uh, Robert Duvall's character. Was it? Uh, I could oh, be I wrong, know. though. I could be very wrong. But leading into that, yeah. the Robert Duvall section is <laughs> incredible. The way that he, like, squats down knowing that he's about to deliver, <laughs> like, yeah. the most iconic line, like, in film history is just hilarious. When he's throwing the death cards on the guy and they come across the dude with his guts being <laughs> held in by the bowl and he's like any man brave enough to fight for me could drink from my canteen any day and then immediately <laughs> he just gets up <laughs> oh it's incredible and then he's like wait lance johnson's here like the surfer <laughs> and like ignores everyone and charlie just don't like, surf man yeah charlie don't surf it's harry in there man it's charlie's point yeah. charlie don't surf yeah but like really crazy that like I, I I'm I'm always fascinated by like movies about war that come out like that are being made and like thought of and created like in really close proximity to the actual war that's taking place because this yeah. like this we, this started being written in, like sixty eight yeah because we America pulled out of Vietnam like what seventy three something like that seventy two or seventy two yeah I think that's I think that's when American involvement ceased but like they started filming this in like seventy four. Yes. Yeah, pretty close. Like as soon as he was done with Godfather Part Two and the conversation, they started working. You on know, this. one of what's really mm-hmm. funny though, before Francis Coppola came on, hmm. you know, who was supposed to direct it, George Lucas. George Lucas. Yeah. yeah. Well, they're like best friends. Yeah. They, but, uh, yeah. they but, uh, worked really closely. Lucas put a ton of money into this film, The Godfather. They went to film school together. Yeah, I read that. Uh, uh, like they were working on it forever, and then Francis Ford Coppola started doing The Godfather, another movie I haven't seen. Um. We'll get there. Sad. Yeah, I know. I know. Um, yeah, but anyway, Francis Ford Coppola did The Godfather, and then George Lucas went on to do Star Wars. And so George Lucas was originally going to direct it and then had to pass on it to do Star Wars. And apparently it, like, ruined their relationship for a long time. Yeah, they they fought yeah. Uh, pretty much over this film. Yeah, because George Lucas was like, you can direct it, but I'm kind of upset about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think this film ruined Francis Ford Coppola. Because he never really made a, a, a movie, a, a movie that I mean, was good again, after this. After working on this movie, dude, I what know. Did you want to do well, I mean, he made the Godfather Part Three, and like the production of this film. <laughs> I'm not, I'm gonna skip over yeah, that and ignore no, it fair. like he didn't. That's yeah. a good call. Good yeah, call. That, like I do with the Godfather Part Three. It doesn't exactly. exist. Yeah. Can't can't bother me with. I haven't it. seen a single one. But like this film's production, he has nine helicopters in use. They're blowing up explosives everywhere. They're lighting the woods on fire. They're in Cambodia for years. It's grueling. And if you read the reports of, like, Martin Sheen, even Dennis Hopper, because he was there pretty much the entire time as a consultant. He wasn't even supposed to be in the film, and then they added the character to put him into the movie. It's pretty wild that these people lived there. There was no infrastructure for them to stay. A lot of things went wrong. Mm. It, it had to take a lot out of him creatively to create this film. Yeah. It's always funny, too, seeing, like, the uh, the support that certain films do or do not get from, like, the U.S. military in terms of, like, getting tanks and helicopters and stuff. Basically, entirely dependent on how, how, well, how, how, portray, how, how well you portray them. Yeah, how, way, how well you paint the U.S. military. Yeah, like, so Michael th- Bay gets a lot of money from yeah, the U.S. Michael military. Bay gets tons of money for, for military movies. Apocalypse Now got absolutely no money from the military because mm-hmm. they were, like... 
we don't like this. It makes us look bad. Well, this movie wasn't popular really when it came out. Yeah. Um, it set the mold for the anti-war war film. Platoon mm-hmm. comes after, ironically starring Martin Sheen's son, Charlie Sheen. Yeah. And that follows the same mold of an anti-war war film. But the government didn't want to get involved. They had yeah. to get all the helicopters from Laos and Cambodia. Yeah. It's it's crazy. And yeah. and versus a movie like Top Gun, completely funded by the U.S. military and is essentially military propaganda porn. Yeah, and I mean, it really marks like a really large turning point because like the, the last major war before Vietnam, other than like the other wars in between, was World War II. Yeah. And during World War II, like the U.S. film industry was just this massive producer of propaganda. Exactly. Like, for America. And so seeing Hollywood kind of like take that turn and a lot of filmmakers kind of use the power that was once used for propaganda to make basically anti-propaganda propaganda, I think it's just it, – it, 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 it's another aspect that just always interests me. It's interesting for sure. Yeah, yeah, Coppola basing this entire film off Heart of Darkness, which is a very anti-imperialist book roast, written by Joseph Conrad, follows Colonel Kurtz and the main character – uh, Marlowe, as he goes down a river in Africa in uh, the Congo. Mm-hmm. It's a very gritty, very bleak look at imperialism written in 1904. People were really against it at the time, and Coppola took that book, didn't line for line, scene for scene recreate it, but adapted it perfectly to Vietnam. Yeah, well, I think uh, the best thing about Heart of Darkness is, like, it's just that kind of story that you can place into, like, many situations that yeah. are yeah. about, like, bleak, horrible worlds. Yeah. Like, the Congo Free State, absolutely awful. The Vietnam War, absolutely awful. And mm-hmm. they're two very different things. Yeah. But they both took a mental toll on people. I so think seeing that explored one of the way. most interesting scenes in the whole film is when the uh, boat captain stops to interrogate um, the fishing boat they find with the dog and the fruit and the mm-hmm. mangoes. And... Willard says, don't stop, don't stop, and then he stops anyway, and then they end up killing everyone on the boat, and the woman's alive, and the captain's like, oh, no, we have to take her to get help. We, She's still alive, and Willard just pulls out a gun and kills her, and everyone's appalled by it, but they had just killed everyone else on the boat, and that's a microcosm for the film yeah, of yeah. why Kurtz turns, because he's seen as this psychopath, this villain. But in reality, the government and Robert Duvall's character highlights this perfectly, is doing the same thing he's doing, just with a flag flying behind them. Yeah, And I can see why people who fought in Vietnam and were proud of it push back against this movie. Because the movie's basically saying you fought for nothing, and the line between, you know, the North Vietnamese, the South Vietnamese, the Americans was completely blurred. I love yeah. the way that this movie, like, depicts two different people in Vietnam. Like, obviously, you have Robert Duvall's Duval's character and you know he's someone who clearly loves being in his environment like his one line is like uh he's all sad when he's like you know someday this war will end yeah like he he thrives in this mm-hmm. but i also love seeing like one of my favorite scenes is uh he only has like one scene but the roach character yeah like that's like yeah, a yeah. that's like yeah. an 18 year old kid who is like given up like he's accepted that this is it the and it's interesting to see like yeah. all the different people and how Vietnam shaped them. Yeah, and I mean, it's a really interesting jump in, like, American culture and the way that we perceived wars, too, because you go from, like, World War II, which was very, very black and white, Hitler versus the Allies, like, good versus evil. Like, even in, like, films that, like, critique that era, like, 
in the mainstream, the closest thing you have is like Charlie Chaplin's The Great Dictator. And that's really like not even like an indignation of like war in general. It's more so just like anti-Hitler and the Hitler state. But then you get to Vietnam in the 60s and everything. And all of a sudden, like attitudes, conflicts, politics, everything is very, very difficult to get through. There's a lot happening. There's It's very overwhelming. It's not simply good versus evil anymore everything gray yeah everything's very combined there's there's all these different conflicts and intersectionality that are happening all over the place and it's hard to find one distinct line of good versus evil yeah i mean there's that whole scene where they get to the bridge and you know willard is going around asking people who's the ceo here who's the ceo and the one guy goes ain't you and then the dude comes out with the grenade launcher and kills the guy on the wire and Willard turns to him and goes, do you know who the commanding officer is here? And he just looks at him and goes, yeah, and then goes back over and goes to sleep. And I think that captures the entire point of the film. Yeah, I mean, was, the entire point of that, too, right there is like they're doing this every day. The bridge keeps getting destroyed, rebuilt, destroyed, rebuilt. Just so the just, government yeah. can say that it's functional. Yeah, it really like it really like puts a lot of these scenes in here that like each single one is like just a summary of the entire film and like the entire theme of the movie. It just does it a bunch of different ways to really like make it that more pointed. Yeah. It drives home the point constantly that the lines are blurred and that's the point of Kurtz's character too. And we could talk about Brando's performance specifically what he did right, what he did wrong. But the point of the character is he reached his breaking point where the things that he was asked to do stripped all of his moral, fi moral fiber away from him, and what was left was the man's internal struggle to succeed and his drive to kill at any cost. The line about the inoculation where he's like, we were in a town and we inoculated all the children, and two days after, a man came to us crying and called us back, and we found a pile of little arms. And he was like, that hit me like a diamond bullet in the head, a sign that we needed men with conviction that would do anything it takes to accomplish the goal, or otherwise we wouldn't win, summarizes the Americans, what they were fighting for wasn't their homeland. The Vietnamese, specifically the North Vietnamese, were fighting for everything, and the Americans were fighting for nothing, for a land they didn't know nor really care about. It's like I'm sitting in the room with Marlon Brando. <laughs> I loved Marlon Brando yeah, in this I, movie. So as I, I like Marlon Brando. I don't dislike Marlon Brando. Uh, having watched this for the first time, uh, it's kind of stupid. I mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's, 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 he's it's, supposed to be this like larger than life, yeah, like it's, weird figure. And it's I think the he point. pulls it off. It, it, it's definitely the point that he's just like, like insane. Like call him stupid or not, like he leaves a presence. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. It's just like it, I don't know. That that's kind of like first time viewing. That's kind of where the movie falls off a little bit for me. Is okay. really just the the whole Marlon Brando section because it really builds a lot of tension and then it kind of just releases it yeah. very unsatisfactory. It, it does something different. It doesn't just. I, I don't want to say that it like loses its tension. It just shifts gears pretty like. I don't want to say dramatically because, like, it does it in a very, like, smooth way where the film kind of changes the point of its focus where it's, like, really just him stuck in that camp with Marlon Brando's character. Uh, I don't know. I just – I felt like the the horrors and the, the, the road to getting there, seeing all these facets of the Vietnam War and getting all these stories, seeing all these conflicts, seeing, like, the satire of it, the tragedy of it, and then getting the Marlon Brando section, it just feels – 
I don't know. It feels like it's taking Marlon Brando and that whole section like very, very seriously, but it also feels like kind of ridiculous at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. I love the scene where he's reading the poetry out loud and Dennis (laughs) Hopper's in the corner like, he's a a big man, I'm a small man, man. And then at the end of that, Brando throws his shoe at him. Just goes, mutt. Yeah. Mutt, mutt. And um, Dennis Hopper looks at Martin Sheen's character, Willard, and just goes, and with a scat cat, I'm out. Yeah, like yeah, I, so, so I sort of funny. like how anticlimactic it was, though. Because yeah. in the book, Heart of Darkness, when he finally gets to uh, Kurt... It's extremely anticlimactic. He's, like, he's dying. He's like this sick, old, dying dude. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he clings to this power that he no longer yeah. has. The movie you know takes the original a different ending, side. Oh, I'm sorry. The, the original ending for Apocalypse Now had, like, a climatic battle. Yeah. It had, like, the North Vietnamese attacking the camp, and it was supposed to be like, this big fight. And I forget exactly how that one turns out, but it was supposed to be, like, this huge thing and he decided it just didn't fit the vibe i know because yeah i don't i i don't think i would have liked it better that way either yeah. it's I, I think it, it's probably just digested digesting yeah. the movie for me because it, it's still very very fresh like i watched it just before this but it, I, it was interesting i think it ends perfectly with willard on the boat where he's like and they're gonna make me a corporal for this and i'm not even in their fucking army anymore yeah which is just the perfect summarization of how mm-hmm. he would feel um, one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie is in the beginning when he's talking with the generals and they play the tape of Kurtz and everyone's sitting yeah. there and pretty much everyone at the table is unbothered and they're showing like their hands, cutting the meat, eating it. And he's talking about the snail on the edge of a, <laughs> a straight razor and it introduces you to him and all the voiceover and the pictures and the dossiers introduce you yeah, to who Kurtz is before. Yeah, I think this is interesting because we're going to talk about Ad Astra in a second. Mm-hmm. But the voiceover in Apocalypse Now, like, it really just builds up Kurtz so well. Yeah. yeah. And I, like, I, you really know who Kurtz is before Marlon Brando yeah. comes on screen. And I think, like, again, even that, like, intro, just them eating lunch while Marlon Brando's tapes play in the background. Like, again, just such a great microcosm of the entire film. Like, they... They don't really seem to actually care that much about like Marlon Brando's character. It's just like the ideology that he's carrying with him. They like yeah, they more, find it, that it's more of an optics. Yeah, thing they find like they find that much more dangerous than like his actual physical presence. They're like he he he's making us look bad, and his ideas are making us look bad. So that's what's got to stop. And when he reads the letter for the last officer they sent in to capture mm-hmm. uh, Colonel Kurtz, and it's just sell the house, sell the kids, <laughs> sell yourself. I'm never coming home. Yeah incredible encapsulation of like clearly brando got to him yeah you, i mean what you he see was him saying he resonated the, with that guy i mean yeah you see yeah, you him, see him. The camp. he's like yeah. he's gone he's there's gone. nothing behind his eyes anymore um the performances are great mm-hmm. we talked about duval i yeah. just want to hit on it a little bit more that's the best <laughs> three scene sequence in the whole film for yeah. me yeah they play uh flight of the flight valkyries of the night before where he's like get johnson a surfboard and they're talking about it and he's like the waves just split there. They're talking about like six yeah, inch swells yeah. and he wasn't gonna take them there and mm-hmm. drop them off. He was like, you're on your own to Willard. And then he goes, Whoa, six foot swells. Yeah, I'll take you there. I'll drop your boat right out of the <laughs> yeah. sky, wherever you want it. It's awesome because yeah. it shows that type of vibe that they didn't care about the Vietnamese and they didn't care about the war. They were there to do what they wanted to do. Yeah. And when he was like, I have a feeling this man will never see a scratch. And then later in the next scene, all the bombs are going off and yeah. everyone ducks. And, and he just, he's, he's standing, he's standing, standing there. He's shirtless, yeah. like kneeling down. You yeah, know? He's, like, he's like, I can surf. I can surf. And he takes his fucking shirt off. It's 
it's amazing. He's playing yeah. the oh when they're chasing the woman who throws the grenade in, and he's like killer, 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 and he's got the machine gun. Yeah. Oh my god. It, he doesn't care about anyone around him. He cares yeah. about him and doing what he wants yeah. to do. It's like it's just like thinking like again. It, it's still incredibly fresh, but like just thinking about like all these different scenes and all these different moments, like everything's just so like incredibly off kilter. Like everything just feels so surreal and just strange and bizarre and like people act in very like strange unbecoming ways but none of it's really without purpose like it all feels it all feels like it fits in this whole like play of absurdity like everybody's really fucking weird and random in this movie but like it works as a cohesive piece because like it's just the entire setting the entire story the entire conflict everything is just like off kilter by a little bit yeah and even the music like the yeah. end the <laughs> opening and that's like yeah. my favorite song i yeah. i love the doors i love the end mm-hmm. it opens with the napalm and the trees burning yeah. with the end but even mm-hmm. when they're on the boat the switch from um ain't got no satisfaction mm-hmm. from being diegetic to played over yeah is really well done yeah. all the music selections seem really well placed really well done yeah i feel like watching this I feel like this movie, like, when people talk about, like, Kubrick movies and stuff, like, those are, like, very similarly, like, very off-kilter, very strange, very very deliberately composed to be a little bit off and make you feel a little bit off. I feel like this does that better than most of those films. Yeah. I feel, yeah. Like, it, I feel like it encapsulates the feeling much better. Instead of, like, it feels like that is just baked into all of it rather than being more of like an aesthetic choice like the it, it the chaotic nature of how they made the movie like is reflected so well in the actual movie you feel itself. it yeah, yeah mm-hmm. you feel it and the cinematography for the scope yeah like oh my god oh, it's beautiful ha- yeah. they have helicopters and boats and they're filming in cambodia a correction on previous statements Apocalypse Now was filmed in the Philippines and not in Cambodia, and all helicopters acquired for the making of Apocalypse Now were also acquired from the Philippines and not from Cambodia. And it's hot, and all these explosives are going off, like the scene where they storm the beach with Robert Duvall's character. Mm -hmm. Every shot is perfect, and you couldn't have had more than one or two chances to get these. Even the shots on the boat, they're all perfect. The angles Mm -hmm. are perfect. The shots from the helicopters, there's no stabilization on those cameras, but it looks fantastic. It it feels so real. Like it it, it feels like a borderline documentary. Like it it just it's so like I when I watch movies, like a, a lot of the time, I'm thinking about like lighting, camera composition. Like how did they do this? And like watching this, I was like, I have no like earthly fucking idea how this was made same like, it, just, it, it doesn't feel yeah, like it is, was made the trick is to just lose your mind to cambodia and say i don't know fuck yeah, and the opening yeah. shot of the boat with the lens flare into the yeah. sun yeah like it's perfectly composed juxtaposition or juxtaposed with a movie like platoon or even full metal jacket where the war scenes do kind of look fake yeah but I think the only thing that comes close to Saving Private Ryan, which establishes the D-Day invasion very well and very real and very visceral, but Apocalypse Now even does a better job than that. Yeah. I've actually still never seen Saving Private Ryan. It's good. That's another yeah. good one. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's weird. It's a good I, war movie. It's weird. D- different kind of war movie, but yeah. it's still good. It's really weird. I, I probably could have when I was a kid. I grew up in like a weird household where like well, like wasn't allowed to watch like R-rated movies, weird stuff and stuff, but like... Saving Private Ryan was like an exception. Like that was well, fine. Well, Saving Private Ryan was the first R-rated movie I saw. Yeah. Because my uncle was like, 
Dan, you're gonna get you're gonna get a kick out of this. Yeah, yeah, like Saving Private Ryan and like The Passion of Christ. Yeah, like my parents were like, "That's fine. That's totally fine." I saw Paul like, when I was eleven. Yeah, splash a titty on screen, yeah. and it's just it's all over. Yeah. What did you say? I said I saw Apocalypse Now when I was 11, so yeah. I can't really relate. Yeah, you were, you were a real like family guy middle schooler. I yeah, feel like. yeah. I, my mom loves films, but a yeah. lot of R-rated films, and she would show me anything I wanted to watch. We yeah. had HBO, and there was no parental locks. So yeah. I was, my, mom, my mom just didn't care, or I just deceived her too easily. Yeah. She see, was like, is this appropriate? And I was like, yeah. She was like, all right. Yeah, see, I was like 15, and my parents were like, I don't know, Wizards of Waverly Place might mess <laughs> with your brain, kid. I don't know. So it was... Yeah, so I didn't really, uh, yeah, <laughs> didn't really have a lot of those moments growing up. I remember uh, whenever you came over to my house, <laughs> we, that's where like you would watch like R-rated movies, mm-hmm. and we would like sit very close to the TV and just the turn the volume. We had the volume on like two, yeah, and we had like, the subtitles. On. Yeah, there'd be like a, they'd be like, God fucking damn, we'd be like, Shit, I remember they'd be like, did anybody hear remember that? We were watching uh, Ted. <laughs> yeah, and we, we we like couldn't even hear the movie. Yeah, no, we were we were so fucking scared. We were just like huddled around your like twenty two inch TV. Every we time like, like an F word was said, we like paused it. Yeah. <laughs> like, we like heard for footsteps. We're like, Jesus fucking Christ, is anybody there? Oh my god. Yeah. On the contrary, I'm just <laughs> watching The Ring when I'm nine with my mom, and <laughs> yeah. she's like, Ah, there's a horse in this movie. You'll love it. <laughs> it's love horses. Um. Yeah, but Apocalypse Now, masterpiece. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I think essentially a perfect film. I don't yeah, have any I mean, any I think qualms. you can make the argument this is the greatest, like, movie ever filmed. When yeah. people ask me what's my favorite film, I hate that question, first yeah. of all, because it's impossible to answer when yeah. you're – When you love day. cinema, yeah. it really depends on the day. But this is one of my go-to answers because if you're recommending a movie to someone – and this is what I was saying to you going in to watch it. It's very hard to watch this movie and not at least appreciate what it yeah, is. Yeah, I, th- I think it's also a very difficult movie to have, like, no emotional reaction to. You like, have to. It, yeah, it, I mean, it reminded me a lot of Come and See. Yeah. We're, like, watching it, like, even when, like, even when the scene that you're seeing, like, isn't that intense in the moment, there's just this, like, like underlying feeling of dread and just, like, every scene, and it's just so uneasy. Like, the entire time I was watching it, I was just like, I don't feel very You're really, good. like, <laughs> losing your mind with Martin Sheen. Yeah. yeah. It, it, really, it, it really brings you into it. And he's introduced as mad, but his descent into further madness mm. and how it correlates to Heart of Darkness, the book, I think is, is wonderful compared to the other movie we saw, Ad Astra, yeah. where we could start talking about that. I think Brad Pitt descends into madness well, mm-hmm. but they don't capture yeah. it within the story quite as well yeah it's i think so I, I i saw this when it first came out in theaters and i i loved it i like i, I thought it was great I, it it did it for me very like blade runner and it's an aesthetic like the the sci-fi elements are just so inherent that it's just like it's baked in and it just like feels so spectacular while being very understated Rewatching it didn't really like it as much this time. And I think yeah, same. The, the the main issue for me is probably the voiceover. It feels very Blade Runner. It feels like, I don't know if it was, it's always tricky with these things because I don't know if it was like always planned to have a voiceover or if it was like a last minute director switch, if it was a last minute like studio switch. It just, I really dug it the first time I saw it, but this time it just, he like pretty much, there's there's a couple ones that I'm like, okay, that was pretty cool. I like that. That, that like added something interesting. But a lot of the time, it's just, like, emotional exposition that I could have gotten, like, that would have been better if it was just left ambiguous. Like, a lot of it's just him talking about his emotional state. And it's it's interesting because he's so, like, reserved. It's it, it's an interesting con- – uh, whoa. It's an interesting comparison 
uh, to Martin Sheen in Apocalypse Now because Martin Sheen is like very visibly freaking out as he descends into madness and Brad Pitt like his character really really keeps it internalized so I think that's yeah. like an interesting difference in the voiceover yeah they make a point of it with his blood pressure rate yeah, and they're yeah. like oh you have this great composure essentially by saying his blood pressure never kicks up yeah I think it's interesting because Apocalypse Now, clearly the source material is Heart of Darkness. Yeah. I think the source material for Ad Astra is Apocalypse Now. Yeah. There's the boardroom scene in the beginning where they brief him on going to see his dad. Mm -hmm. That's almost ripped right from yeah. Apocalypse Now, almost yeah. line for I line. Def I definitely see Heart of Darkness influence in there. Yeah. Just like one, one interesting I find interesting about how they adapted it. For like when we talk like Apocalypse Now, right, they did like uh, Vietnam and compared that to like the Congo in there right in terms of, like the horrors of man i i find it interesting ad asher did something similar but instead of doing the horrors of man they did more like horrors of like the unknown yeah and the extra like, you, you terrestrial off, colonization yeah, thing because you start parallel. off on like the moon right that's like that's like the first pit stop mm -hmm. and that's like in this world well known to an extent right yeah, yeah. i think it's, like, that's a well settled place the but best then scene. as he goes yeah. like further and further into away. space and becomes more desolated yeah, like you, you begin to meal for that uneasiness of like what's out here. Yeah. The moon scene where he says that his father would be appalled that the moon had a mall and became commercial. Yeah. I really like that scene. I think it captures how the conflict in the movie the conflict isn't as much space exploration; it's different countries exploring space yeah. together. Yeah. And I really wanted them to dig more into. Yeah, that. I yeah. love the world that it makes. Yeah, like yeah. it's one of my favorite like. It's weird to say realistic sci-fi, yeah. but if like, like grounded, if, if stuff were to happen, I could see it happening similar to this. Yeah, where, like different countries have their own like, like spaces on the moon. Yeah, it's there's it, like free land between yeah. there. If anything, know? it like Ad Astra feels much more of like a like a a commentary on like capitalism, yeah. much more than I like mean, the like, military. Yeah, the first shot of complex. the moon city is like what, like a giant Applebee sign or something. Yeah, yeah, like it's coming down. Yeah, and it's, all of the different countries interacting where they're trying to kill them on the moon when they're on the rover yeah. and all these different things going on. One thing that I have a huge problem with this movie is the shoehorn love interest. Yeah. It's something that bothers me in a lot of movies and they just needed to throw a love interest in for Brad yeah. Pitt, but it didn't need it's to be It's just like a there. weird, like, using the ex-wife to humanize him Yeah, thing. and they like, do it, it in Apocalypse it. Now see, where they mention I, his ex-wife, but she doesn't get lines. So correct me if I'm wrong, right? But wasn't the point of the ex-wife because, like, his dad was very distant with him him and Brad Pitt's mom? Yeah. He yeah. Was a kid and he, like, abandoned them. Yeah. So, like, Brad Pitt's, like, becoming his dad. But I don't, the, his I don't need that layer. Yeah. Like, like, I can tell yeah, like it gives that us... Brad Pitt would be that way based on his father. Yeah, and, I mean, the climax of the movie is him, like, departing from his father and, like, disagreeing yeah. with his father. And his father, like, says, fuck you, leaves him and whatnot. It just, I don't know, it feels like a, again, it feels like one of those things that's, like, very, like, studio, like, we need, like, a sweet little cherry on top. Can yeah, we give it's can exactly we, what it is. Yeah, I remember when I first saw that, the happy story. ending, like, just feels out of place. Yeah, just, and it just feels unnecessary. Like, because on the way to this thing, like, he kills, like, a crew. Yeah. yeah. And then he just, yeah. he just goes home. Well, like, I want to talk about that in a second, real quick. In Apocalypse Now, Willard has an ex-wife. Yeah. But it's all just the written letter, the exposition in the beginning. They yeah. could have done that and accomplished the same thing in yeah. this film. It's, it, I think it's interesting because, like, I think that's a much better use because, like, they use the ex-wife thing to establish his character in Apocalypse Now. 
but they don't really try and make you feel anything more with that. No. Like in Apocalypse, in, in Ad Astra, it's just kind of, it, it feels like it's trying to pluck at your heartstrings. Like it, it, it feels like it's trying to make him more relatable. Yeah. And what you said about him murdering the crew, that's the same scene as when they invade the fishing ship essentially and kill yeah. everyone. But it's also blended with the monkeys in space. Yeah. The captain's like, we have to check this out. And Brad Pitt's like, no, no, no. We need to follow the mission. We're not stopping here. Mm-hmm. That's not something that's in Heart of Darkness. That's only in Apocalypse Now. Yeah, it's they it's crazy, the That scene, yeah, yeah. They took that scene from Apocalypse Now and said, oh, no, we're going to do that. And then the captain dies, whereas in Apocalypse Now, no one dies in that scene. Yeah. But it's the same idea, the same thing. Yeah, it's crazy because I remember seeing Ad Astro when it first came out. And, like, I, I knew, like, I had heard that it was very comparable to Apocalypse Now, but I hadn't fucking seen apocalypse now so i had no idea but like watching them back to back like this i'm kind of like they're more than a little similar yeah yeah and i don't have a problem with it yeah, i think ad astra does enough totally differently yeah, and yeah, one no. thing i want to give a credit for is the visuals now just has like a really good story structure yeah, yeah like, it has a way better yeah. story structure but the just visuals in, in ad astra are spectacular yeah i think the, I, I think using space colonization and space like imperialism is a really interesting direction hell yeah. to take an adaptation of Heart of Darkness or Apocalypse Now. Like, I think that's a, like, really cool ground to tread with it. I yeah, thought... It's a unique way to do it, too. Mm-hmm. I would have rather them focus more on Heart of Darkness than Apocalypse Now, though. Oh, I agree. Yeah. I would have um, loved to see more of, like... The colonization, the colonization aspects. Space, yeah, because you know? Apocalypse Now, they credit the author of Heart of Darkness as, like, this story is based on Heart of Darkness. Ad Astra does not credit, like, the original book as you know story based but they definitely do mention in interviews yeah yeah i mean like i said i think ad astra is based on apocalypse now not heart of darkness i think the Mm -hmm. elements that we see as heart of darkness are ripped from apocalypse now yeah um yeah but the visuals yeah no it's it again it like it reminds me a lot of blade runner where the visuals do so much heavy lifting and so much world building and so much emotional information gets portrayed through the visuals that it I, it doesn't need the voiceover like no, so much information doesn't. is conveyed to you just through what you see through the production design through the cinematography through the performances that it just rewatching it just the, the the voiceover annoys me very very much more now than it did when I first saw it they did a really cool thing in this movie where all of the space out the window and mm-hmm. all of that it's LED like screens yeah, so like, it's so not like when they post did. okay cool so that way when did I was gonna grab it off my shelf? I'll just look it up. Because First Man did the same yeah, thing. Yeah, First Man did it too. I Honest, think they came out the same year. Yeah, because or like they were filmed around the it same time. Gives the actors an added level of emotion because yeah. they can see what's going yeah. on. First Man was the year before 2018. Yeah, yeah, and I think that really pioneered it. Yeah, it just I don't know. All the effects just didn't really. I don't know. the 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 visual effects side of things in Ad Astra didn't really look all that great, in my opinion. Everything okay. just everything just felt a little too like shiny. You That's know? fair. Yeah, I yeah. I see what you're saying. I, I like the color. The yeah, color no, no, palettes no. are fantastic, especially on Mars. Yeah, they nailed cool the vibe for Mars. Yeah, I just think a lot of like the I don't know. It it just kind of looked a little outdated. Like all of, like the the stuff on the moon with like the rovers and stuff. Anytime there was like somebody like flying through the air or anything. Yeah, I don't know. It looked like they just kind of opted to do like the CGI ragdoll look. Yep. And it, it just felt a little wonky. Like, not, like, distractingly so. but No, just, it was a little bit off. Just watching it, I was watching it back, I was like, eh. One thing I did notice comparing it to Apocalypse Now, the mm-hmm. scene on Mars where he's in the hallway and the light 
goes from black to orange yeah. is the same shot yeah. as when Willard's in the trenches by the bridge and oh, the yeah. lights going on his like, face and turning black. That one there. Yeah. Just... No, but like I'm not yeah, saying I don't, it's I don't a bad thing. I'm not no, I yeah. If anything, more movies should uh yeah. take I think I think the ultimate like again, I I'd say that I still enjoy Ad Astra. I still like it as a movie. I think just one of its biggest pitfalls is just that like it just doesn't have the same emotional core as Apocalypse Now. Like it just, no. it feels just a little too hollow. And I, like, the em- the ending's empty. Yeah, that, like you finally get to his dad, and yeah. there's no surprise. There's nothing. He's like, yeah, yeah I want to stay here. Yeah, it more or less plays out exactly what you think, the way that you wanted to. And it's just like I, I don't know. I I can't tell. I've been trying to. I've been thinking about it all day. I I, I can't pinpoint exactly what it is. I can't tell if it's just the voiceover. Uh, if it's just that the emotions just feel a little too fabricated. Um, but yeah, it just, I don't know. It didn't resonate with me as much as I remember it. Yeah, they, at the end, he's not arrested. Yeah. So he lands, he's saved, everyone's like celebrating him for doing this. But the m- film didn't establish that as a precedent. They wanted to send him home. Yeah. He murdered f- four people well, that did, were originally on the ship, which he the doesn't overall, really murder them. No, he doesn't. Yeah. But, but like, the overall know, theme yeah. would suggest that there would be consequences for that. Yeah, I mean, I think, the source think, material would suggest there wouldn't be, and the the military theme in it would suggest they wouldn't be. But they didn't yeah. establish that enough. Yeah, I just think just like making it like a very happy ending was a weird choice. Yeah, and it I think you left it make. Maybe not ambiguous, but like, yeah, not as like clean cut. And yeah, like him, again, the him voiceover at the end. Yeah, him getting home and reuniting with his wife like has absolutely nothing to do with the movie. No, like, it has no emotional weight because yeah, his wife feels, is a yeah. shoe in character. Yeah, and I think like again, Ad Astra just feels a little bit cleaner too. It feels a little bit more Kubricky, where it's very like a little bit more sterile. It feels like it's trying. Like it, it feels is. like it's trying yeah. to infuse emotion into it. It just doesn't do it all that well, uh, in my opinion. And I think. Yeah, jumping off that, like Apocalypse Now focuses a lot on like the 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 vicious nature of the journey, the tragedy, like a lot of the the incidents and the violence and the death and everything that happens on their journey, like it stays with you and you feel it through the entire film. Whereas that Astra, like things happen and it's just kind of like moving on. Yeah, I think a lot of that is, mm-hmm. and not to hark on the same point, but. Apocalypse Now's primary source material was Heart of Darkness, mm-hmm. and Ad Astra's primary source material is Apocalypse Now, which in itself would be considered a secondary source of Heart of Darkness. Yeah. So all of that traveling down the river isolation yeah. is based on Heart of Darkness. Distilling a distillation. Yes, yeah. exactly. And it loses that emotional grip. They skip past the whole scene where he's traveling in space alone, really. It's just a montage. Because yeah. I feel like... Ad Astra just came off as, like, just really cold, so you didn't really, like, yeah. get into it like you do with Apocalypse Now, which yeah. is, like, but then, very emotive. Yeah, but then all the emotional stuff just feels, like, ham-fisted, yeah. and it just, it, it makes yeah. it, like... Like, you mentioned it, like, that scene, it's like, they skip over it, but, like, I would have loved to see more yeah. of him alone. That in, like, last that leg of the journey, yeah. Yeah, also... Because, like, like, the thing is, like, we were saying that he's a very reserved character beforehand. That mm-hmm. could have really, like given you a chance to, like, see a lot of stuff without the need of voiceover. Yeah, see what he's like when he's yeah. not around like, people. Because the entire see, thing is him being, like, yeah. cool, calm, you and collected around others. You could have lose his coolness there and, like, lose his mind a bit. Yeah, yeah, there is that scene where he's traveling to Jupiter, or Saturn, from Jupiter to Saturn, where that happens. He's in the ship alone. But it's only, like, five minutes. Yeah. And it's just kind of him laying there, going insane a little bit. But 
the whole movie is predicated on the fact that we're going to meet his dad and figure out what his motive was. And then we get there and we figure out the motive in a minute and a half. And it's not enough information. They add more in the voiceover at the end, but it doesn't work the same. Don't get me wrong. I like that when he gets there. I like that the dad's like just a dick. Yeah, I I do too. I like that. I just think I would have loved to see more of like what exactly like – because like you pretty much – you get there. There's no surprise or anything. It's like, oh, this is it. And – versus Apocalypse yeah. Now, the crew is established better. The yeah. crew in this movie yeah. doesn't all... fucking what, matter. One yeah, I no do one like cares. About, uh, the ending of the dad, though, is I like that they do leave the aliens ambiguous. Yeah. yeah. Like, there's no definitive answer, and I think that leads more into, like, the quote-unquote horror of space Yeah, yeah I, li- I like that they, like, led with that, but then we're like, that's yeah. really inconsequential because we're focusing on this one person's yeah. journey. Yeah, again, I, f- I feel like I've been shitting on this movie a bunch, no, but I actually... Been... I, I actually really like it. Same. We've yeah. been critical on it. I think it's because we're watching its source material yeah. against it. But the, the better version of it. Yes. Yeah. It's still a really creative, well-done, well-executed movie considering yeah. the scope. I, I, and it has some one, great ops. I'd say aside from like the recent Blade Runner, it's probably like my favorite sci-fi of the past Yeah, years. it's definitely like that. I don't even know what this like subgenre of sci-fi would be, yeah. but I really like this resurgence of sci-fi like Ad Astra, Arrival, Interstellar, yep. Blade yeah. Runner. Like I, I I feel like calling it grounded sci-fi is a weird term. But yeah, like, I don't know. It's like just that kind of vibe that those movies yeah. bring. Because they're like, like my kind of. It's sci-fi. less focused on the science and more focused on the character development. Yeah, yeah. Because they did like back in like 50s, 60s sci-fi. Like it was very campy and cheesy and stuff, but it yep. was very like soliloquy, like very like intellectual, like philosophical sci-fi. Like they were using sci-fi as a vehicle to talk about like intellectual things, and yep. I feel like. Then we kind of veered away and we got like very Star Warsy, where it was more about like, you know, sci-fi is like action and cool westerns and everything like that, and that's great. Like I, I, I love, I love, love that a good stuff space too. adventure. Yeah, yeah. But like now we're getting into like the really like poetic like sci-fi. Like a lot of people are drawing. Like I feel like modern sci-fi either draws from one of two movies, Solaris or Two Thousand One: A Space <laughs> Odyssey, to craft your image yeah. of space. And I think it's, I think it's interesting too because like sci-fi is getting like closer and closer to being a reality like i feel like we're not really like i don't think there's as many like near like distant future far away a hundred years from now yeah sci-fi stories like there used to be like i feel like everything is like this could theoretically happen in the next i mean i I I think was what for example like 2040 ish i I don't like some like something that's like not super far yeah i mean like back to the future at this point was supposed to happen in 2020 based right I yeah. think so. Yeah, I think so. On the yeah. movie, but that 20, was like 20, I think it was 2016. It was because I remember. Yeah, I remember it was that. 2015. Yeah, yeah it but was 2015. Yeah, okay. but like yeah. a lot of those, a lot of the old school sci-fi movies that like are really awesome and everything, were very much like in 50 years, the world as we know it is going to be completely different from what we know today, and everything's like super far fetched. But now we're like living in these incredible times of technology and information and everything that like sci-fi doesn't really seem all that like spectacular and far out. Like it feels. No very inevitable it's why arrival's so great because arrival could take place tomorrow yeah like they don't know anything about the aliens the technology Mm -hmm. they just trying to figure out how to talk to them that movie started a little bit of a trend where sci-fi is more grounded in the issue of what if this happened in the next five years rather than a story that takes place in a galaxy far far away and i think also it lends itself very easily to like a lot of modern filmmaking aesthetics like the the denis villeneuve bradford young style and aesthetic like that kind of like close-up wide-angle lens shallow depth of focus handheld intimacy 
became very popular after arrival like it's a very like you look at commercials you look at movies you look at tv like close-up shallow focus cinematography like is very much so like the current look in terms of film and television yeah i mean even in commercials like you'll see the front lit close-up yeah like wide angle that's what i liked watching apocalypse now too because a lot of the shots like everything's more or less like a medium shot or a wide shot and when it goes it punches in in close-ups in very specific shots yeah i feel like they're they're a lot more punchy they are they are and especially like you watch like one of my favorite movies is high and low and like that's like all like wider medium shots i like i'm a simp for wide shots i I think it establishes an environment and you have to do more within the frame and be creative with it. yeah and i think wide shots and medium shots also allow for like more performance because when you're doing a close-up everything feels everything's very constructed because you're focusing on specific moments rather than like an entire body during a performance yeah i I I think it's just a style that's kind of fallen out of the out of the way for me i think uh i I actually i still haven't finished it because uh well because micah showed up but me and Allie did the uh, the Citizen Kane Mank double feature. Oh, Dude, yeah. I can't believe you're going here because I was thinking it as you were saying Yeah, it. I actually still haven't seen Mank. I watched about the first 20 minutes, and then Micah showed yeah, we up, there. and we were like, there's no I fucking way. I eventually. It was yeah, we, we were like, there's no way Micah's going to want to oh, sit down no. and watch Mank. Uh, so I still haven't finished that, but from what I read and what I've seen and what I've heard is that that does black and white, deep depth, wide angle cinematography very well. Very well. Yeah. It yeah. is visually a very interesting film where they're taking modern ways to Mm -hmm. shoot and move the camera and use cranes and use tools but it still feels grounded in that 40s aesthetic it's a very interesting aesthetic they have in that it is it is it's very unique yeah but one best cinematography so yeah i mean it deserved it but i mean Judging these two movies, I like both movies. Yeah. We were very critical of Ad Astra, but <laughs> I feel a little bad. But again, I, 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 I don't <laughs> because I feel it's like it's all legitimate. It's hard to talk about a movie when you're comparing it to Apocalypse Now. Yeah, like yeah, I mean, it's one of the greatest films yeah. ever made, and I don't think you're gonna find a filmmaker who would disagree with yeah, that. Yeah. But I, I do just find it interesting that like, I don't know. I just think the source material of Heart of Darkness is like just such a great material to like adapt into different situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love seeing how both these movies did it in like very different ways. Honestly, I feel like seeing a sci-fi tale that is more directly based on Heart of Darkness rather than Apocalypse Now, I think would be very yeah. interesting. Like really lean into like colonization, imperialism. Yeah. 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 Like what does yeah, the what be- does the new frontier of outer the space? Best parts oh, have you Astra not seen Alien friends. Covenant? <laughs> <laughs> I've seen Prometheus. Because <laughs> the best You've parts about Astra were when it delved into like the space mm-hmm. colonization. Yeah, I don't know. I've just seen more. Yeah, like of that. the like the moon mall. Like that. Yeah. That scene's great. That was great. Mars. Is, I liked the the yeah, Mars was the great. Mars and the woman who's like, I've only been to Earth once. We love yeah. her. We, we love Ruth Nega. Yeah, we love her. I I didn't yeah. know. I don't know her work. Yeah, she's great. She was she's in good. uh she was she was in uh Passing that came out last year. She was in uh she was in Loving. That's like what I yeah, know like her two from. two three years ago. Yeah. It's the, about uh the the court case of the first biracial like marriage yeah. legally allowed in the United States. Uh, I know her from Preacher, where she's just okay. hysterical. Oh yeah, yeah. Pre- Pre- Preacher's a really funny show. But I still yeah. gotta catch up on that. But. but yeah, just like seeing more of the space colonization, I'll love to see like a more Heart of Darkness inspired Ad Astra. Like yeah. lean more into it. Yeah, I just I I love sci-fi. Sci-fi, my, I think I would probably safely say that sci-fi is like my favorite subgenre. I, I I wouldn't disagree. I'll take sci-fi over fantasy, like for sure. Yeah, same. Yeah. I would too. Um, Dan, <laughs> Dan. I don't know. I like both <laughs> a lot. Fantasy has a lot of swing and misses. So yeah. does sci-fi, but like, I f- 
Yeah, yeah that's I feel tough. Like we, yeah, I feel like no. we haven't had a lot of good examples. You see, I, I feel like a good sci-fi, I'll take over fantasy anytime, though. Yeah. You know? Yeah, least, 100%. Yeah. Unless it's Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I feel yeah, like... I mean, Lord of the Rings is Lord of the Rings. I feel like it'd be interesting for somebody to take an approach at... I feel like we haven't seen a lot of, like, small-scale fantasy. Like, I, I mean, feel like every... This is a different one, but uh-huh. I feel like Green Knight was a relatively yeah, good example. Yeah, yeah, you know what? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Legend. Ridley Scott's Legend. Oh, I've actually never seen that. Yeah, Doesn't Tim Curry play the pro- devil? Dude. Yeah. Tim Curry. <laughs> I can, can we, go on a Tim Curry tangent for days. But yeah, we should on, do a Tim Curry double feature. We, we could do a Tim Curry can, podcast. Can, can yeah. we just Rocky do Horror Clue Motion Picture Show? Yeah, we'll just watch Clue a bunch. Yeah, I'm cool with yeah. that. Rocky Horror, <laughs> throw that on there. Yeah. I. By the way, if we're on Tim Curry, the TV adaptation of it is yeah. far, oh. far, far, dude, far better his than Pennywise, the movie adaptation. Dude? Mm-hmm. It's mm. actually scary. The yeah. new Pennywise isn't scary. It's Pennywise like, oh, look at me. To... I have CGI. Yeah, see, one was like a really good like kids on bikes, Stranger Things, 80s nostalgia one. thing. Chew, but not a, very, not a very good horror movie. And no. Chapter two is like all horror elements. Yeah. and Because just... Skarsgård just tries too hard. Yeah, yeah he does. Like. Yeah. Tim Curry succeeded as Pennywise just because he felt unsettling. Yes. You know? The the key of Tim Curry is he didn't have CGI, so he had to be scary in his performance because yeah. he's just a guy in clown makeup. Yeah, Tim Curry was definitely my all favorite right, part right. of we're, Apocalypse We're going now. off here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't think I really have anything else to say about these two movies. No, um, I'm very happy you saw and enjoyed Apocalypse Now. Yeah, it means I really a lot did. to me. I really did. I, it was like... I think it's something that I'm definitely going to rewatch because it was like, it's a very, it's my favorite type of movie where it's a very, like, it's a very visceral experience. Like, I had a very, like, bodily, emotional experience. Not like, ju- like, yes to the, like, content material in it, but just the filmmaking, like, the, the, the chaotic nature, like, something's always happening. The screen is just, like, always filled. There's all. It was just, like, insane to watch. This is something I would love to see in a movie theater sometime. Oh, dude, I watched it before the Roxy closed. Uh, Every year they'd show it in 35mm, uh, but people would, like, yell in the theater. So when Flight of the Valkyries happen, everyone stands up and they're like, bump and a bump, bump and a bump, Apocalypse Now, now with a shadow cast. It, it was so good. Apocalypse and Now, but with the Rocky Horror picture crowd, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, that's literally what it was. Yeah. Um, Timey Wiseau's Apocalypse Now. So I have an interesting question for you yeah each movie mm-hmm. give me your best actor best supporting actor for apocalypse now and ad astra and ad astra separately not combined okay i mean ad astra is a little bit easier because there's yeah. not really a ton of actors um i mean brad pitt's good i, I like brad pitt i, like I would brad give pitt it to brad pitt yeah, yeah i think i brad pitt is always interesting he like he he kind of does the Matt Damon thing where he kind of just plays Brad Pitt every time, but he does different versions of himself. Yes, Brad, Brad Pitt's exactly just a good actor. Yeah, yeah, he I, is. I really uh, like Brad Pitt. For uh, best supporting actor in a movie, the only memorable one I can think of is Ruth Negga. Yeah, I would Mars go person. Tommy Lee Jones. I thought Tommy Lee Jones was outstanding. I mean, I thought he was really good, too. I really like... Uh, God, what's his name? I always forget his name. Uh, the old guy? Donald Sutherland. Yeah, yeah, I really like Donald Sutherland. I he's also really... thought... He, they didn't give him enough screen yeah, time, though. Oh, I just dropped my heart. I don't know why they killed him off so early. Yeah, I feel like he I feel like he could have been more interesting. I guess Well, actually, like, guys, guys, the best supporting actor was the monkey. Yeah, uh, you're right, the monkey. You're right. Which well, one? Monkey one or monkey Which two? one? Yeah. Hi, Allie. Hi, Allie. Can't believe you came into the studio. Oh, yeah, the studio. Yeah. Hey, Allie. Yeah. Are the red, mo- the red are you, light was on. Are you on. a monkey one or a monkey two kind of gal? Oh, wait, here, you want to uh, say into the microphone? Uh, monkey 2? 
That's a good wrong. answer. Yeah, no, that's wrong. Oh, no, he's monkey that's one. No, that's I think wrong. I'm monkey too. I like monkey Incorrect. too. No. no. But you're going to go. I like all monkeys, actually. All right, nobody likes a people pleaser. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Pander. Uh, but for, 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 you're for going, now. You're going yeah. Brad Pitt and uh, Donald, Donald Sutherland. I wasn't really considering. It's weird. I wasn't really considering Tommy Lee Jones because, like, it's yeah. Uh, but I, I am gonna go Ruth Nega. I thought she made a lot of yeah screen presence with the fact that she had like what. I'm not gonna scenes? disagree. She was great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll go uh, Brad Pitt, Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah. Uh, nice. So we, each po- had, we each had a different different uh, one. Yeah. yeah. Look at us. Look at us. For well, Apocalypse Now, this is where it gets murkier because mm-hmm. there's so many supporting actors. I need, to, I need to pull up a thing. Yeah. So if we're doing Apocalypse Now though, like, because you said we're doing best lead and best just supporting. Do- Two. Just, just pick two, because yeah. there's only one lead in say, Apocalypse like, Now. It's got to be Martin Sheen. Martin Sheen, Sheen, so yeah. Martin Sheen is really good. Yeah, he is. Uh, Robert Duvall's great. So that's one for me. I'm picking Robert Duvall. Robert Duvall, my favorite actor of the 70s and 80s. This, Godfather, Network, if you haven't seen Dude, it. Dude, Network is fantastic. Unbelievable it's one of my, movie. It's one of my favorite movies. I got I remember, a big, I remember, fat, I big, big titted hit, and I don't got to waffle around with Ruddy anymore. And I thought I was going to seen it. it. And yeah, it I might be like one of my favorite movies. Yeah, same. It uh, is can, also one of my favorite whole, I movies. I can do a whole podcast on it, honestly. Yeah. I could too. It's eerily representative of the future. But I'll go Robert Duvall. And mm, I know who I want to pick as my second. I, I really like Frederick Forrest, the guy who plays Chef. Yeah, he's I really, really it good. It might just be the mustache, but God No, damn, he's he good, dude. Me, yeah. the, the scene where he breaks down with the tiger and he's like, yeah. it's a fucking tiger, yeah. man. <laughs> Yeah, that that's really good. I th- I, I think I think I'll pick him. He okay. I, I I really liked him. Lawrence Fishburne's also really good. He yeah. is really good. Yeah. I I also do like Dennis Hopper in that movie. Yeah, that's yeah. who that's who my second <laughs> pick is because I've modeled my entire personality as an adult after Dennis Hopper in Got that it. film. I'll go Duval Dennis Hopper. Film Bros turn twenty and pick one of two actors to base their entire personality <laughs> off. of. Yeah, Dennis Hopper, well, Robert. For Duvall. one of mine, I'm it's just Dennis Hopper and Easy Rider, and then Dennis Hopper in this film. For one of yeah. mine, I'm just gonna go basic and pick Martin Sheen. Love I it. Mean, he's no, no, really that's good. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, yeah. he deserves it. Yeah. Um. Damn. Uh, I'm I'm definitely gonna go Frederick Forrest as chef. Uh, Sam Bottoms is really good as Lance. I read yeah, that, I read he that is. I read that he was just like on LSD that entire movie. Yeah. Oh yeah, because he takes the tab. Yeah. But then he never gets unhigh after that scene. Did you yeah. notice that? Yeah. Like he yeah. wanders. Wait, when the did he rest- take when did he take a tab of acid in the when movie? When he gets to the bridge, him yeah. and Chef are on the boat, and he goes, "Hey man, oh, remember how I yeah, had that yeah, last yeah. tab he, like, of acid? The, uh, I dropped it. Fireworks or whatever at the one point." Yeah, when they're on the bridge. On yeah. yeah. So, like, he's sitting there with Chef, and he goes, I had that last tab of acid. And Chef goes, yeah. And he goes, I dropped it, man. And Chef's like, you dropped acid far out. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I'm going to go uh, Sheen and uh, Bottoms. Cool. I'm, I'm gonna, going Duval Hopper. I'm going to go Frederick Forrest and... It's it's between Lawrence Fishburne, uh, Robert Duval, and Martin Sheen. I can't... I. Because I feel like Martin Sheen's the boring answer, but he is really, yeah, really good. Yeah, he's incredible. I mean, I'm not going to judge him. I'm going to go Martin Sheen. I'm going to yeah. go Martin Sheen. I, th- yeah. I think he's Although really Although for me, too, good. Robert Duvall is just really yeah, good. Yeah, Robert Duvall. Uh, I do want to state, there's a lot of, like, army bros who think Robert Duvall's character <laughs> in this movie is, like, awesome and, like, a pinnacle of an army man. 
you read the whole movie wrong, dog. Like, you just missed the point of the entire character, but I appreciate yeah. your input. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it, it's just one of those movies. Like, in Jarhead, they do that. They yeah. all sit and watch the movie, and they, like, cheer on Robert Duvall, and you're like, nah, you guys all kind of... That's the point of Jarhead, yeah. but it's like, y'all missed the point. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Yeah. That is the Apocalypse Now at Astra double, double feature. feature. Yeah. We'll be coming at you next week with another double feature. Yeah. We haven't decided yet. No, we have some. We have some options. We though. have it's, some no, no, really no, no, good no. options. No, no, no. I'm not going to list them. Yeah. We have some good options, and we're going to come up with something great. Yeah. Yeah. Until next time, we're Good Soup Film Podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Matt. I'm Aaron. I'm Dan. Bye bye. Apple bottom jeans Boots with a brush And the whole club staring straight at her Baggy sweats and the Reeboks with the straps 